Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to Culture Calculus. As always, I'm Kavitha Davidson, joined by my lovely co-host, Jason Jones. Jason, what's up? Nothing much. I haven't been called lovely in a while. That's a good <laughs> way to get the, get the show started. Well, you are lovely. Um, it's been a busy week, <laughs> hasn't it? We still got days left of the Olympics and everything. Uh, first of all, you know, how have you been handling all of the stuff going on in the sport that you cover in the NBA? Oh, it's the typical, you know, the, the moment. It's like it's guaranteed. The moment you try to do something away from the computer is when everything's going to happen. Like for me, I'm dropping off my kids and that's when, oh, yeah, Rashawn Holmes is staying with Sacramento. so it's like okay great you know and usually it's oddly enough i'm usually at target when things happen i've been at target about five at least minimum like last year five times when like news is broken and i've got to decide do i finish shopping or you know you know do i go self-checkout like what do i do (laughs) with, with, with this cart and i end up in the car typing on my phone and trying to get you know and one time the uh I just broke my charger and didn't realize it, so I'm like, I gotta go home. Yeah, so typical fun stuff. So, I, but I did get a workout in like Monday night, like at eleven o'clock. It's important. Can't miss leg day. Yeah, so I said, okay, yeah, let me go ahead and sneak this in. Hopefully, no one does anything at midnight. There's an old trope about like half of, of reporting on site is just finding a, a quiet place in the stadium to take a call. You're just trying to you're just trying to find a place in Target to take a call, man. Exactly. Yeah. You know, let me run to the car real quick. You know. I'm over here talking to someone at the with the cashier. They're looking at me like, what is he talking about? I've heard those <laughs> names before. What is he doing? You know, but luckily I don't live in Sacramento, so I don't really get recognized for that unless, you know, which just happened to me before I went to the gym one time and I did an ESPN hit and it was pre-recorded and it came on while I was at the gym. As long as that doesn't happen, I'm, I should be okay. This is going to sound like we're flexing and we're not, but it is really wild to just be out and about and see yourself on television. <laughs> yeah, it is very, yeah. And, you know, and because I have a very common name, people will say, aren't you James Jones? I'm like, no, I know you. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yes, I do. And then I'll get these weird pictures. Someone, someone sent me a picture of myself at the airport. I'm like, you could have just said hi. 
That's really creepy. Jason Jones does like, I mean, I know you, so it does on the one hand sound like you could be a Sacramento Kings beat writer, but you could also be an Irish poet. Yeah, I could, yeah. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very, very simple name. There was always at least two or three of me with the same name in high school, elementary school. And there was always one that always got in trouble. And one of the other ones, we end up in the office going, why am I in here? Ah, that was never you, though. You were never the one in trouble. Oh, no, never me. No, I was always in there, you know, for, for good reasons. Yeah, I, I can absolutely relate, as so many people I have met have the first name Kavitha. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's the Jenny of India. There are like a billion of us, but they're just not, none of them are in America. Anyway, um, well, we have so much to get to. Obviously, the Olympics are in full swing and the talk of the last week. I don't even know how many days it's been, honestly, but everyone has just been talking about Simone Biles and rightfully so. You know, she was the face of the Olympics. She's the face of gymnastics. And of course, you know, she pulls out of the team competition and then pulls out of the all around and the vault and the floor exercise, um, you know, citing the twisties, citing uh, concerns for her mental health and the fact that she did not feel safe competing. You've seen all of the fallout. First, Jason, what was your initial reaction when you heard that she was pulling out of the team competition? Uh, I've learned now my first reaction needs to be to try to find more information. <laughs> and I just kind of started trying to read up on things and saying, OK, what could be going on here? And I know there was a lot of, oh, she quit on them. And I was like, well, I don't know what happened. So I started reading up and then you real, you know, you realize some of the mental strain she might must have had. I can't imagine being told what I'm doing is, you know, we can't score that. Mm-hmm. And then what I also thought about, too, was just her being a survivor of the, you know, the Larry Nasser scandal. And then you, you turn around and you read that the U.S. team is basically made all these accommodations for an alternate fencer who's a predator. And I'm just saying, I said, I don't know if that's you know a connection, but I can only imagine from people I know who are survivors that when you hear something like that, it can be triggering. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just kind of said, I felt, I just felt for her. I didn't feel like she was a quitter or, you know, I mean, all of us have taken days off from work for whatever reason. I know people have taken days off from work for way less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just felt like, you know, rather than trying to... Who don't have the weight of an entire country on their shoulders. <laughs> right. You know, rather than condemn her, let's try to find out what's going on. And But, I mean, there was a there was a big rush to, oh, she's a quitter. You know, she just can't take the pressure. And I'm like, I don't even know what happened. So, I was, you know, the more I learned and just kind of read, I just kind of felt like, you know what? It's okay. I'd rather have her do that than to go out there with her head in a bad headspace and actually hurt herself. Yeah, I mean, it was it was wild to me to see all of the initial reactions. I think, and maybe this is just because, like, I highly curate my Twitter just for my own mental health, but my what I noticed was overwhelming support, finally, um, after all, you know, kind of more information came out, but especially from other athletes. Um, and we can get to Novak Djokovic in a second. But um, and I think other athletes in this particular case, I've said this, this is one of those cases where I think the opinions of other athletes matters more than your, in my opinion, um, because especially other gymnasts, they're not going to understand quite to the level of 
we're not going to understand quite to the same level the mental pressure that they're under, exactly what it feels like to have the twisties. Gymnasts have been on, on television all the past week explaining that they feel lost in the air. I can't even imagine. I can't fathom physically what that feels like. Um, and, and just kind of people who have understood what it takes and what she's gone through. And also that Simone Biles doesn't have anything left to prove, right? Like, I mean, she she's already the most decorated. Before she won bronze in the in the beam, she was the most decorated gymnast of all time. And she only competed in one Olympics. So uh, that that kind of tells you a lot about her dominance. But you did have trolls and you had particularly loud mouthed right wing trolls, frankly, um, who were, as you said, calling her a quitter, saying that she let down her team, that she was selfish. Um, and really kind of denigrating the idea that mental health concerns should be should even come into play here at all. What do you think? You know, we've been having all these conversations. We talked about Naomi Osaka uh, withdrawing from the French because of anxiety and mental health. You know, Paul George and Kyrie talked about how difficult the NBA bubble was on their on their mentality. Obviously, Kevin Love had long talked about mental health. Do you think we're getting better at this conversation? Uh, yes and no. One thing I noticed, maybe it's just my timeline and the people I know, it seemed like men were way harder on Simone. Maybe I just know some terrible men. <laughs> but <laughs> it just felt like the lack of empathy came from a lot of men. And I saw that with, you know, in multiple, even before Simone, would rather be Osaka and other cases. But I do think in a lot of ways we're getting better. I just think we have a long way to go with that. Mm-hmm. To me, what helped was hearing, you know, Dominique Dahl, and Dominique Mochiono talk about, you know, the fear and, you know, especially Mochiono talking about knowing she was hurt, but being afraid to say, I can't do it. You know, being told you can do it one more time and then you find out how serious her injury was. Right. She had no you know, business doing anything else, but seeing her peers basically say, you know what, it's okay. We wish we could have done it. You did what a lot of us have wanted to do for years. And I've always been kind of fascinated by the fact that gymnasts are often the youngest and the smallest of the athletes, but yet we kind of have this idea that they're the toughest and we don't ever sit back and go, you know what, maybe she's really hurt. Right, totally. <laughs> I did like seeing the other athletes come out and support her. And I think that's going to help Overall, just the public will view mental health and especially with athletes. I think a lot of times we forget about the mental health of athletes and celebrities because we want to be entertained. And don't you dare ruin my entertainment <laughs> because you're because you're not feeling good. Just go out there and finish it and deal with it later. And a lot of folks don't realize you can get seriously hurt if your head's not in the game in any sport, especially one like gymnastics, where you're literally flying through the air and can land on a hard object. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I said this, I said this the other day, I think we don't give on the one hand, I think you're absolutely right. Gymnasts are, are we expect them to be and they are in many ways, the toughest of the athletes. Um, at the same time, I don't think we give enough credit to gymnastics as a sport for being as dangerous as it is. I think part of that is because especially in America, you know, the faces and the names that we know that are household names that are gymnasts are women. And they're they're small women and they're women who wear glitter and spandex and makeup. Um, and we don't give them credit enough for doing this incredibly dangerous sport where, like you said, if you under rotate a spin in the air, you're hitting your head you're landing on basically a very lightly cushioned metal bench right <laughs> and that's and, and i you know and i've seen those things up close and i'm like 
I don't think like the balance beam. Do people realize how narrow that really is? Unless you see one in person, it like TV does not do it justice, right? Not at all. And I'm like, you're doing a flip on this? Like, I don't, I, <laughs> it's it's crazy. And I just, you know, and just kind of the courage it takes to even go out. And people forget how young they are when they start this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times these are, you know, girls under 10 learning how to do this and they're getting to the olympics at 14 15 16 7 you know they're young and that's why i think as you see gymnasts who are older we forget that you know well she's only 30 well it's because we met her when she was 14 years old i'm glad that you brought up the two dominiques you know one of the one of the immediate reactions I saw was comparing Simone unfavorably to Carrie Strug, who obviously had that incredible moment in the 96 Olympics where on one leg with a broken ankle, broken foot, you know, she landed she landed two vaults uh, to, to, to help the USA win gold. Uh, here's where I have to point out that they didn't need the second vault. They had already clinched gold after the first one. Um, so, but, and then, and then, you know, she collapses on the mat and immediately Bella Caroli her coach picks her up and hands her, by the way, to Larry Nasser to go tend to her, which is this chilling moment when you watch it in, in retrospect. But it brought up it brought up something to me. You know, we talk about the toughness and the kind of gladiator mentality of a lot of these athletes. You know, Willis Reed comes to mind, you know, what, uh, playing through pain. Right. And you said you said it that a lot of athletes since Simone has has come out and, and since she dropped out of 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 the first uh, couple of events, they basically said we wish that we would have been able to do this and the idea that we i don't think that we should be entitled for athletes to risk themselves to that level um if if they don't think that it's worth it if they want to preserve their futures and i keep thinking about you know nfl players recently retiring early um, mostly after they've made their bag, obviously, but like, you know, NFL players who retire early, who obviously have, you know, years left in the tank to give, but they've basically said, listen, I want to preserve my body and I want to preserve my brain. I, w- I don't want to develop dementia later in life and I've still got 50 years of my life to live. Um, so you have the Andrew Lux of the world who are making those decisions. Do you think, I mean, is that is that another level of like athlete empowerment? And do you think that we're going to see more of this kind of calculus uh, that that athletes are making that maybe putting themselves 100 percent at risk isn't worth it? I think we are. I think like you said, like Andrew Luck and you're seeing guys, you know, retire younger and then not come back. (laughs) They're like, no, I like the idea of being able to get out of bed and not have to, you know, get my wife's help or you know as warren sapp once told me uh, take 45 minutes to get yourself out of bed because you got to swing one leg out and then you have to wait like until the rest of your body can react and you know it's just it's a it's a it takes a toll on people and i think people are starting to learn more about you know what happens in life i know a lot of football players i've known they would see kind of the physical ailments of older athletes they would say man look how earl campbell walks I mean, they would say mm-hmm. but it's worth it but then you start learning more about cte and you start learning about you know brain injuries you're saying you know what is it really worth me not being able to function as a human you know do right. i want to be in my 40s and my wife or my kids have to take care of me because i can't take care of myself anymore i mean those stories crush me because I, I know some of those guys and i see them i'm like that's not the same lively, vibrant guy I knew. 
And right. it, it's all, you know, it's all because of, you know, football. And I have friends who got out the game early and I actually got introduced to the idea of getting out early when I was trying to walk on at Cal. Uh, guy I went to high school with Brandon Whiting was already on the team. He ended up playing for the Eagles and the Niners. But he said, trust me, unless you get a scholarship and you go pro, this ain't worth it. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you about to make money. He said, yeah, I want to make some money. But he said, trust me, I want to get out as soon as I can. He said, I've had like four surgeries. My back hurts. And he's like 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's like, trust me, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But, you, you know, he said if he said he can't he couldn't imagine someone doing all that to their body. And this is just through college. And then not even getting paid at the end of it. It's like, why are you doing this? I think it speaks to this this larger thing, this larger issue that we're also seeing where athletes are realizing or or being more honest, not that they're they hadn't realized it before, but certain some athletes, not all, some athletes are real are, are being more honest about the fact that their whole identity isn't the sport that they play. It's their whole identity, their whole self is not just being an athlete. And I always think about, you know, I talked to Martellus Bennett at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's always been very honest about the fact that for him, football was just a job. It was a means to an end. It wasn't all of who he was. He didn't love it the way that a lot of guys do. And that's okay. Like, this is a job that these guys and these women are doing. Um, And and as fans, we have to be a little bit more, I, I think, understanding that Again, these 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 athletes are human beings. They contain multitudes and they might not. They're probably not as invested in their sports as we are. Right. And I and and I love Martellus Bennett because he's like, man, I played football because I could. Right. And one of my actually one of my best friends, he played college football. and He's the same way. He's like, I played because it got it got me through college without any loans. He said, and I was just good enough to where they didn't pull my scholarship. <laughs> he said, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, be go pro. He was just trying to, you know, get an education, get out of there debt free. And a lot of, you know, and 20 years ago, the guys who thought like that, we looked at them like, oh, you just don't love the game. What's wrong with you? But, you know, you see more and more guys talk about their health. You see guys who say, when I talked to Larry Sanders, he was like, if I, you know, for in his case, he was like, if I, he said, if I got to take the drugs you give me over cannabis, I'll retire. Right. You know, and and you're seeing guys say, hey, I'm going to do things for myself and this game will not define me. And that's one of the things, even though he can kind of be a little different, I like about Kyrie Irving. He's like, you will not box me in as just a basketball player. (laughs) And I can tell it it, that irks people. (laughs) They're like, but I just want to watch you play basketball. I don't want to hear about, you know, you not having a good day or your outside interest or what else is going on in your life. I don't care. I just want you to go out there and entertain me and play ball. And you see guys like that and a lot of a lot of athletes in different sports saying, you know what, we, we're people, too. And you're going to, you know, yes, we entertain you, but also, hey, I've got issues at home. I've got kids. I've got this. And I think uh, what Bruce Arians said about his coaching staff, uh, or uh, I heard where he said, if you miss your child, something for your child for a, uh, over a meeting here, you're in trouble with me. Go take, go be with your kids because you can make up time at work. You can't make up time with your kids. And I think if you get more coaches talking like that, you get more organizations talking like that, you'll get players more comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going to leave. Can I leave practice early? My son has a game or my daughter has a game or my son or daughter has a recital. I think we need to normalize that and not make this thing where they live and die by the game because we live and die by through them. And that's what a lot of it is. A lot of this anger and this 
angst on social media and just in the public. It's because there's people who literally live their lives through sports. And Mm -hmm. it gets kind of scary when, you know, you see the emotion. It's like you realize you didn't lose the game right. You can go home. It's okay. There was some, I mean, just to how scary that investment can be. There was was that story of, like last week about um, an Eagles fan shot a Giants fan at a bar. Like, it's not that serious, guys. It's ridiculous. Do you, we're also not saying it out loud, but I mean, obviously these dynamics, the fan entitlement and um, how much, how bothered some fans get by, uh, you know, by, by athletes, you know, being their whole human beings. It's obviously heightened when we're talking about black athletes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's definitely this idea that what's wrong, you know, I've heard, I I trying to correct myself. People say, "Well, they get they gave you all that money." No, mm. he earned that money. Stop saying they just gave them some money. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, it like, not a handout. He has a skill, a highly specialized skill that ninety nine point five percent of people in the country don't have, and he earned it. And you know, and I think this whole idea that they're giving you all this money, so who cares if your knee hurts? It's like some of you stay home because you have a headache, right? <laughs> You you know you you you're shut down for three days with a cold, but you want someone to go and compete athletically at the highest level, just because of you know their salary. And there's this 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 like fascination with the salary, like because he makes X amount of dollars, he should therefore sacrifice all feelings as a human being, or because Simone Biles has been on a Wheaties box. You know, or because we see her, on, she has, you know, a million or whatever followers on social media. It's like, you you can go ahead and push through it. You know, you can do it. It's like, how do you know? And there's yeah. just this whole idea that entertain me, you know, entertain me. And you know what? We'll get to your feelings whenever you get to them. But we don't want to do that. Entertain me. And it's, it's I even look at some of the backlash, like with Andrew Luck. They're really, I mean, he was kind of allowed to go away and no one really talked mm-hmm. bad about him. Right. <laughs> he's kind of allowed right. to go away. It's like, well, he's a Stanford guy. He's smart. He's probably got a plan. But, you know, it, somebody else is like, oh, why is he doing this? And, you know, and a lot of it plays into a lot of old, tired stereotypes. And, and it, 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 get, it, it can get, it can get you know, tiring sometimes because I know a lot of the athletes now. And I know some of the kind of the, the mental strain they feel. Mm-hmm. And they, they feel like they live in a bubble as it is. And, and, you know, they're like, we can't even have regular human feelings and emotions. We can't even say we're having a bad day. You know, if if we're having a, you know, you know, and I look at like a sport like baseball where with so many games, guys get days off all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you go to a, you know, a game like football, guys probably should get days, games off. But, you know, I I would hate to be the first NFL player to say I'm skipping Sunday's game because my head isn't right. Nobody. I mean, we ask football players to play through concussions, and I've had a concussion. It's, you really shouldn't be doing anything with a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, the fact that we ask people to run on a field, and you know, and a lot of it's peer pressure too. You know, you got the other players saying, "No, you can't. You, you can stay out here." And trying to, it's hard to walk with a concussion. I can't imagine being told to go tackle someone with a concussion. Right, and in football in particular, it's also the idea that. 
you know, your average your average career span is less than four years. There is always 30 guys who are, who are, who are going to be willing to take your spot, who are going to be willing to play through a concussion. So that's the added, the, the unsaid peer pressure of, of, of playing through that pain with Simone. It's, it's also interesting because I've done a lot of panels in the last week about her and with people far smarter than I am with black women and black women academics far smarter than I am who have talked about how, Simone is really indicative of something that black women at large face, not just in sports, but just in society. And that's not having the room to set their own boundaries, not having the room to be anywhere less than 100 percent perfect and being completely criticized once uh, and, and jumped on and at fear of losing everything that they've worked for once a slight crack in the armor shows. And I can't imagine what that pressure is like for someone like Simone Biles. Um, who has obviously demonstrated to us over the years that she handles pressure with the best of them. Jason, I'm wondering what you think. I mean, Marcus, our colleague Marcus Thompson wrote a great piece about Simone before before gymnastics started, basically saying that, you know, her legacy is already set, right? Like this was this she she's already the greatest of all time. This was going to be her coronation. What do you think is Simone Biles' legacy after this Olympics? I think it's the same. I mean, you can't, you know, there was nothing she had to prove in this Olympics. There was nothing for her to prove. I mean, when they're talking, anytime in any sport where they, they say they, they don't know how to officiate you or they got to you know, alter rules, you're already the best. You're already the greatest. I mean, you look, you look at the history of, you know, of basketball, you know, whether it was Wilt, Kareem, or then they had to change the rules for Shaq. It's like mm-hmm. when you're great, they don't know what, you know, there's, there's no way to define you or even to kind of judge you. And so I think before she even, you know, arrived in Tokyo, she was already set. She was the GOAT, you know, and I think everyone accepted that. I think, there, I mean, I understand the disappointment in not being able to see more of her. But to, like I said, she owed, she owed us nothing. I mean, this whole idea that she owed, she owed the country or someone, you know, she took someone's spot from them. Well, let me, let me just jump in there because not only did she not take someone's spot, but her, her her bowing out of the team competition paved the way for them to win silver. If she's not in her right mind, she's not landing that second vault. They are not making it to the podium whatsoever. And her bowing out of the other individual competitions also meant that literally every member of Team USA Gymnastics ended up with a medal. And that would not have happened if Simone had competed in all of those events. Yeah, but don't let the facts get in the way of... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't let the facts get in the way of, you know, making us, you know... You know, of slandering Simone, but I think, like I said, best ever. I mean, I don't think anyone, any reasonable person can deny her career and what she's accomplished. And I look forward to seeing what she does after the Olympics. And I think she's actually opened a, I think what may end up being her legacy is that she's, she'll allow athletes after her to say, you know what, I don't feel good. Right. You know, and it, and it can be OK. And I think we have to get to a point to where an athlete saying they don't feel right. It's not seen as a sign of weakness. No, they're not afraid. No, they're not being a coward. No, they're you know. And also, like I said, I I just hope people look at, you know, the United States Olympic Committee more. Like I said, I, I, can, I can only imagine having that 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 fencer, you know, like I said, an alternate over there and seeing all the, what that did to people. I mean. They literally made exceptions for him like he was like their 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 best chance at winning. 
And I mean, even I'll, then it would be wrong, but to, yeah. to, to, for it to be even alternate on top of that? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, the, that, that particular fencer, he, he's, a, he's a Columbia grad. I went to Columbia. Um, I've heard some stories that I can't say publicly, but um, you know, he's, the things that he's been accused of, he did while he was in college and beyond. And I got texts from a lot of people I went to school with, from a lot of survivors that I know, from a lot of fans of fencing yes fencing fans exist um but uh who 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 felt extremely triggered by by his presence on the team and this bogus safety plan that the usoc put out where they literally they were like we're gonna put him on a separate plane and we're not gonna let him live in the olympic village we're gonna put him like a like you know a couple of feet over here and that's the way that you protect a bunch of athletes from a known predator it, it's Absolutely wild to me. Like I said, if, um, if you got to do all that, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be there. Exactly. Um, we could talk about Simone and her legacy for hours on end. There's going to be books written about her, I, I know, for the next couple of decades. But we have to talk a little bit about the disappointing showing of our women, our our U.S. women's national team in soccer. Um you know, they just didn't have it throughout this entire tournament. You could tell from the go. Do you think this is pandemic fatigue? Do you think it's, you know, a lot of people don't think that uh, soccer players take the Olympics all that seriously, which is kind of something we're not really allowed to say out loud, but is a little <laughs> bit true. Um, or, you know, I I also think that this is kind of a good thing for the sport. It's not, It's I, I'm looking at it less that, you know, oh, the, the U.S. women have been toppled and more the rest of the world is catching up. And you know, you know this from, uh, you know, from being a fan of women's basketball or, or Serena, you know, whenever like the UConn basketball team or Serena Williams, whenever a, a, a whenever at a woman athlete or a woman's team is too dominant, the criticism is always, well, they don't face the same level of competition. And now I don't think you can make that argument with Team USA soccer. No, you can't. And I think in anything all things come to an end at some point. And the soccer team was not going to go undefeated, you know, for the next hundred years in international play, you know, and, and I think it, like I said, it's, you know, it's all right. You know, it's okay. I think I met Ray where Megan Rapinoe was saying, we still got a medal to play for, you know, it's disappointing, but this is not the worst thing ever. And maybe some of it is pandemic related, you know, a lot of, you know, the last year and a half, you know, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in sports. Maybe we wouldn't have seen. So mm-hmm. that could be part of it. And like you said as well, other teams, you know, these other teams are, are practicing, too. <laughs> right. you, you think they want to get beat by the by the U.S. team all the time? <laughs> you know, they're going to get better. And then you even see, you know, you'll see athletes from other countries. They come to America, go to college and play and then go back with they take what they've learned and go back to their countries. So, I mean, I think it's just the evolution of the game. And I think in the long run, it will be good to, you know, to develop some more rivalries. And you can say going in, okay, oh, wait till we play Canada again. You know, things like, to me, those things are good for the sport overall. And, you know, in the big picture, I don't think this is going to hurt, you know, U.S. women's soccer overall. I think it's still it's still a strong program, still a strong brand. Still a stronger brand, you know, than than the men's uh, soccer team. But right. I, I, I think they'll be fine. But, yeah, the world's catching up. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see some of the names we've had on the women's team. They've been there a while, too. Mm-hmm. Some of these names, you know, you've, you, like I've heard. I remember when, uh, when Megan Rapinoe was in high school. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I was covering high school sports and I was hearing about her, she was on a club team up in uh, near the Sacramento area. So I've heard her name for 20 years. I mean, if I've heard her name that long, clearly she's been, you know, you know, she's probably near the end of her international career. So, I mean, you're going to start seeing a change in the guard. I think probably you'll, you know, some of these new younger names can come up and we can just. You know, as they say, you know, say run it back, but run it back with some new names. Yeah, I mean, Crystal Dunn is is a veteran in her own right, but absolutely is part of that. Uh, you know, the the is part of the future of, of U.S. soccer. Rose Lavelle, extremely exciting young star. We've definitely, uh, you know, I I think Americans just have a hard time losing at anything, and frankly, we have the most money, so we should kind of be winning at everything. But it's also okay. Like this conversation came up with Simone. This conversation has come up throughout the Olympics. The idea that uh, you know, the, there there have been some headlines that have framed settled, you know, settled for silver or settled for bronze. You want an Olympic medal? <laughs> like, <laughs> there are only three of them, right? Um, and and the idea that you shouldn't that you that anything less than number one is a disappointment, I think, can be really toxic. Yeah, you can come back home and have people looking at you. Oh, you only got silver. It's mm-hmm. like. You really, yeah, because there's only three medals, and I, what I always love is are seeing the smaller countries where maybe someone got a silver or a bronze, and it's like the first medal, mm-hmm. you know, or like are, they, are one of the only medals that country gets in the games, and they are so excited just to be on the stand. Whereas we have this American idea: if you didn't get gold, you really didn't go. Right. And it's, I think it's, I mean, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible that you, and then you people forget when you watch the finals. They had heats before that. There's dozens of people who didn't even get to the final. Mm-hmm. So to get third is not an embarrassing thing. It's, it's, it's an accomplishment to be on that stand. And I want to, you know, maybe we'll get to a point one day where we're celebrating the bronze, the silver, and the gold. And it's not, oh, let's, what's our gold count? And then we kind of gl- you know, gloss over the silver, bronze. Like, okay, they, they were there, but... No, how many gold did we get? Well, still in still in vying competition for gold is our U.S. men's basketball team. You know, last week we had the indelible Joe Varden on on the ground from Tokyo, uh, talking about kind of a shaky start to these Olympics. But it seems like like our, our team has has managed to course correct a little bit. A good good win against Spain in the in the in the quarterfinals today. Uh, at the time of this recording, we'll play Australia in the semis. Um, in on on Thursday, Jason. What have you seen from this team? What adjustments have you seen that have gotten them to this point? Well, it helps when Kevin Durant goes off. <laughs> <laughs> that that covers like up a the lot all of- time like scoringest player in the history of the Olympics. That helps, right? Yeah, but yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. And they seem to be able at times to at times to defend when they need to. It's still kind of crazy to watch guys that you see in the NBA like. I can't recall Ricky Rubio going off for 38 on anybody in the NBA. <laughs> so, I mean, just the way, you know, their defense still concerns me because if they have to, say, run into Luka, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a gold medal game, if Evan Fournier is getting 28 and Ricky Rubio is getting 38, Luka might get 50. Right. Luka's already have 48. And I'm just to your to your point, Evan Fournier turned 28 points into a $78 million from the Knicks. So... Uh... <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there, you know, that part still concerns me because it's like, you guys didn't put anybody on the team who can play some, you know, get in front of somebody, you know, and then it's just crazy. People are like, oh my God, look at Dame Lillard. He can't play. I'm like, well, have you not watched the Portland Trailblazers? 
He and CJ aren't exactly Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars on defense. <laughs> they they haven't been shutting people down for years out there. So, I mean, that part shouldn't be too surprising. But I think even the Australia matchup is going to be intriguing because Patty Mills becomes Kyrie Irving when he plays the Americans. So right. that's not a give me by any stretch. You know, and I think what one thing we've learned in uh, international play is that teams that don't have to have a lot of great NBA players to, to compete with the Americans, they've got to have enough who aren't afraid of them. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to have a whole, you know, an all-star team. There's some, there's some guys that say, you know what, like, Patty Mills isn't backing down to those guys, you know. And it shows when, he pl- when, when Australia plays the Americans. So you, you would think that maybe going forward into that game, the U.S. team would have a have a little chip because you know, but they've lost to Australia with the last two times. So right. I mean, you would hope they would come out with a little fire, you know. But I'm still thinking Patty Mills is going to go for thirty. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that uh, I think you're absolutely right. Like you don't need we, this is this also just kind of speaks to like our own kind of notions about American exceptionalism, right? But we are way past the point where just having a bunch of NBA players is going to guarantee you success on the international level. Um, and, and you know, you talked earlier about how lovely it is to see, there's that word lovely again, um, <laughs> to, see, to see smaller countries or countries that haven't been there before vying for medals. I mean, let's 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 talk about Luca and 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 leading this team that has not been in uh in in that leading the Slovenian team that has never ha- fielded an Olympic basketball team all the way to the semis. That's really kind of incredible. Yeah, and I just think like the the legend of Luca grows anyway, mm-hmm. and you know, and I just watching this, it's like wow, you know, it just it, it, to me it puts more pressure on Dallas to say. Why can't you guys get past the first round with this guy? <laughs> you know, what do you have to do differently with that team to, you know, to make some headway? And, I mean, Luca's been great in his first two playoff runs. But watching this, you know, I mean, there's people who, I know, I've heard the whispers in the NBA, like, he must be so hard to play with. He dominates the ball. And to me, that's such a cop-out. It's like, well, it's like, you know, he has the ball so much. Well, he's supposed, he should have the ball a lot. Like, what do you want? Do you, do you, you know, you we want, heard the same shit about Kobe. Come on. Yeah, like, you want Boban bringing the ball up to be fair? <laughs> I mean, like, what are we talking about here? You're talking about one of the 10 best players in, you know, in the world, and you're complaining that he has the ball too much? Yeah, he should have the ball. Right. And I mean, I, I hate that shit. I just hate it when they, you know, well, he can't be fun to play with. I'm like, no, it's, I, and I hear that, you know, being a guy who covers the Sacramento Kings, and one of the arguments against Luca was that, hey, it wouldn't be fun for the other guys. I said, no, what else is not fun? Losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and-, and let me tell you whose opinions matter more on that is the guys who actually play with him. If if they if they have absolutely no problem dishing the ball to Luca and having him bring it up, then then the rest of us need to shut up. And I'm like, you know what? If they got a problem, would it be better? Right. It's kind of simple. You know, Tim Hardaway just got a nice pin, uh, or Tim Hardaway Jr. Let me be clear. Not, mm-hmm. you, know, run, you know, the old Tim Hardaway is not coming back, but Tim Hardaway Jr. got a nice payday playing with Luca. He doesn't seem to have a, have a problem finding his shot. So back to Slovenia. I mean, this is just amazing to watch. You know, he's still relatively, he's still young. He's, he's still a baby. It's, it's a little bit wild. Yeah, he's still going to get a whole lot better. So, I mean, I really hope we get a Slovenia-USA final. You know, no shade to the, you know, to the other countries, but I really want to <laughs> see Luka have a chance to win the gold, you know, and then let's see what happens with that. I mean... 
I think it'll be fun. Right. Well, it has been a extremely busy week stateside in basketball also with the draft and free agency. Uh, where do we even start, man? I mean, it feels like, I know it was just Thursday, but it feels like it was a month ago that Russell Westbrook start, made made a move over to L.A. and the, the Wizards are, are suddenly rebuilding that whole team. Like, where what, what was the first thing that stood out to you in free agency um, and in free agency and during the draft. Like I said, the first one was the Russ move. I was like, okay, because that was supposed to be Buddy Heald going to L.A. And then right. all of a sudden, boom, 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 there it is. Russ is heading there. And it's like, okay, now they've got four players in the contract. <laughs> let's, see right. what they, let's see what they do going forward. And then, you know, the draft in a lot of ways didn't go completely unexpected. You know, maybe the first surprise was Scotty Barnes going fourth, mm-hmm. you know, which then kind of raises the question of how, you know, is it a matter of not if but when they move on from Pascal Siakam? Right. You know, so, you know, it brought up type of questions, but then you get to, you know, free agency. It's like, okay, I mean, there hasn't been, too, to me, too many shocks just yet. The, the, to me, the biggest, the craziest thing is now is, what happens to poor Dennis Schroeder? Yeah. Turns down the $84 million and all the point guard got, got no jobs are drying up. And you still got some, you know, some decent names. You no, know, we're recording on a Tuesday, but got some names out there still. You know, you know, I just think you kind of see the arms race now. Who's going to load up on all these, you know, these low, you no know, bargain level vets. I'm trying to figure out I mean, the Knicks kind of surprised and they spent so much of their money. You know, I didn't think, I didn't see Derek Rose getting a deal like that or, Nerland's Noel getting a deal like that. Tell me how you signing Nerland's Noel to three years and, and that kind of money. Just, you know. I, 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 I just said, okay, I guess maybe they want to be the Knicks again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, every, I think every, every Knicks fan kind of had this moment of dread where, where we kind of, we felt, we felt we've been here before. And, and then we were like, is Leon Rose really just, uh, really just, just tripping, uh, tripping here a little bit. I, also, I, I want to see the number of guys, you know, who who uh, were CAA? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> the right. Sign. It's like okay, the Knicks might as well be CAA. The call is coming from inside the house for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, but th- back to the draft real quick. I, we got to talk about Jalen Green. We and absolutely have to talk about that. Michael suit, Jackson man. off the wall. Clearly, Jalen Green was not alive <laughs> or a thought <laughs> when that out. But I mean, that had to. I mean, from the hair to the glitter suit to the bell bottoms. I mean, he clearly won the NBA draft, the suit game. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. If you haven't seen it, Jalen Green wore this beautiful, um, but also like really evocative of Michael Jackson's off the wall video, um, rock with you video, excuse me, uh, that had like, it was, it was gray with pinstripes. The pinstripes were made of rhinestones. They sparkled. And let me tell you the cut of these pants, like I haven't seen people wear a fit like this since, since Michael Jackson, since the like late seventies, I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah. And his hair was glorious. I mean, (laughs) He, like I said, he's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess he's the old soul of the group, mm-hmm. or he's just like the new Russell Westbrook, PJ Tucker. I mean, I don't know what yo, because every year for me, the, the probably one of the funnier things with the draft is how is everyone gonna dress, and right. he made sure we all, we're all gonna remember Jalen Green at the draft. I mean, if he never did a thing in the NBA, we're gonna remember that there was a guy who looked just like Michael Jackson who got drafted. <laughs> 
for sure. Now, he also does have all of these designs about being rookie of the year and making the all-star team. So maybe we'll see some some amazing fits later on from Jalen Green, too. My personal favorite, I'm going to say, was Isaiah Jackson, who wore this gorgeous, very simple black suit, but with a really stunning wide houndstooth pattern on it. And and I was at the draft and I saw this in person and, and, and that kind of blew me away. And then you had Kai Jones with the bright pink beautiful powder pink suit just rocking rocking the color like that and what i've loved about nba fashion in the last 10 years is that you're seeing guys rock colors that used to be considered feminine or used to be considered just what women wear and they're like nah like i'm i'm going to wear pink and i'm going to look great doing it the nba i grew up on would not approve of these colors. <laughs> I, yeah, you were not going to see Allen Iverson in a bedazzled, <laughs> a bedazzled blazer. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a completely different game now. These guys are just they're like they're pushing the envelope every chance they get. I mean the amount of glitter at the draft was amazing. There was so much glitter. Yeah, usually the glitter was always just the jewelry. The, the bling was always now it's like we're going to take this to a completely different level, but. Still, Jalen looking, I mean, it's amazing that he can, I mean, like, it's like watching Michael, I mean, it, I'm, st- I was just stunned, like, <laughs> wow, he really did that, and just like some of these colors, and it's like now, the guys with the basic stuff look weird, mm-hmm. like, even going back to the NFL draft, if you're Mac Jones, <laughs> you look like a weirdo now, it's like, really, did you just go to men's warehouse and get that? Like, that's real nice and simple, you know, you, it's almost like now they're going to keep put. you know. I think somewhere Jalen Rose is saying, "See, guys, it wasn't just a Detroit <laughs> thing. I knew what I was doing." Well, we all we all were wondering how uh, how Trevor Lawrence was going to be outfitted for the draft, and he uh, he he met those low expectations. I guess I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now you know you're either going to go that extreme, or you're going to have guys going all the way. You know, I kind of felt bad for Mac Jones. They're like, he looks. He's dressed like the insurance man. He's the guy who called, you know, when you say I need to talk to the manager, he's the guy that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, but I mean, some of these outfits are, like I said, they're just amazing. The stuff they're doing with the shoes and mm-hmm. even last year with I mean, Tyrese Halliburton did with his and mm-hmm. I think Evan Mobley, if you look at his jacket, he had like his, his AAU team in the on the inside and guys are just getting more and more creative and I'm all for it. I mean, I'm not a, fa- I mean, some people would say I am in the fashion, but I'm more of a, you know, a sneaker, mm-hmm. you know, new era hat type guy. Or as one of my friends says, I dress like a retired gang member. There's <laughs> <laughs> like, you just wear jeans and polos and hats and Jordans. Like, you're pretty basic. But yeah, being around the NBA especially, you'll get an education on just random things you never thought you'd see you no know, athletes wear nowadays. Right. And I will just say on a really like sappy note, it was it was really nice to cover a national event in person, you know, and at the athletic, especially we're all we're spread all over the country. We don't get to see our colleagues in person a lot, especially after the last year with the pandemic. And it was just nice to just chill with with some of our folks and, and kind of feel that camaraderie again. So more of that, please get vaccinated so we can have more of that. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, please. You know, do your part. You know, I'm. I think we. I had a draft event we went, I went to last Saturday. It was just weird seeing people. I'm like, I haven't seen you all in so long. It's mm-hmm. like we're you know. It was just it was just weird seeing people again. But it's it's you know it's it's cool. But yeah, it's just like I almost got used to not seeing anyone. Like I was on a plane last month for the first time in over a year. Right. And it was right. like wow, this is 
I was almost like nervous, like oh my god, it was like my first flight, like oh my god, I haven't been on a plane with this turbulence. What am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels feels weird. Good, good, weird, but also uneasy, weird. Uh, before before we we go, Jason, what are you looking forward to most in the next week? Uh, the next week, uh... we got some Olympic stuff. We got Allison Felix, you know, holding down the guard as the veteran on the track. We've got. Uh, you know, we, we've got we've got some some moves in baseball to see how they pan out. Your Dodgers made some annoyingly huge moves uh, on the at the trade deadline. Us L.A. folks, we needed some help in L.A. So I'm starving for star power over there. Yeah, I mean, when you've Angeles. had the in, you know if you, you've had injuries to Corey Seager and Gavin Lux, you go and get Trey Turner to help. You know, and in a pinch, you can always put Mookie Betts at second base now that he's healthy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it's tough to patch things together in L.A., but you know. Us Dodger fans, we're going to survive, you know. But oh, that two hundred and ten million dollars survival. Yeah, and you know, coming from a Yankees fan, you, you, you <laughs> the understand. Only time I can you, ever say that, man. You understand the level of hate, though. I do. I really you do. understand the level of hate, and like I, me living in Northern California, I hear Giants fans whine with their, "Oh my God, we have the tenth highest payroll. Oh God, we're so poor." I swear, Giants fans want you to believe they're the Oakland A's. Well, and I am very much of the opinion, this could get into a whole other conversation, but I'm very much of the opinion that all of these teams have money, and it's not, it's, it's obviously some teams have more money than others, but like, you know, it's a matter of a will to spend more than it is ability. Yeah, yeah, so but yeah, I am looking forward to seeing the Scherzer, Bueller, Kershaw, Urias. It's ridiculous, David ridiculous Price rotation. The, David Price is your fifth starter rotation. I'm 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 all there for it. And I'm also looking forward to Allison Felix. I mean, I covered her last high school meet, which probably mm. none of that dates me or not, but <laughs> I covered her last high school. So far we've got Megan Rapino in high school and we've got Allison Felix in high school. So I'm just getting really old. Yeah, I covered her last <laughs> high school meet where she was I believe it was LA Baptist High, like a little tiny school, but mm-hmm. because she was so good. Like that school was like in the running for the state title because she kept winning everything. So I I just love her story. I mean, it was crazy what happened with her and Nike and all that. And Mm -hmm. I just love how she bounced back. I mean, you wrote about it. I mean, I love just the idea of her coming back. And, you know, as I get older, I root for the older athletes. So Mm -hmm. I I'm, I'm all here for Allison Felix doing well in the Olympics and, you know, doing it for, for moms out there, people who, you know, moms who have to work and just, you know, also bringing the awareness to the idea that you, you know, Hey, employers, a woman being pregnant is not a reason to shame her. Right. Or cut her contract or offer her a pay cut or or any of that. And uh, Oh, by the way, she ran away in her preliminary heat, not no pun intended in the 400 meter, which is not her usual event. So Allison Felix just continuing to surprise and break barriers and, and all of that. Well, it should be a fun week. I'll talk to you next week. I think, you know, hug a Cubs fan if you if you know one. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> thing I can say about this trade deadline. They even have a team left in Chicago down there. I mean, do, do the Cubs have any players? Oh, I, I don't know, man. Because, you know, like Chris Bryant, obviously I'm a Yankees fan. So Anthony Rizzo moving over here. Like it, it, it's been it's been rough for, for Cubs fans. But uh, definitely hug one if you if you see them. Also, they're still kind of nursing those wounds from their rivals to the north in, in Milwaukee winning a whole title. So, uh, so, so definitely a rough time to be a Chicago sports fan. Yeah. But this was fun. Thanks so much, Jason. I'll talk to you next week. Had a great time. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Culture Calculus. If you like our show, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Jason Jones, I'm Kavitha Davidson, and we'll see you next week.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.